welcome to Speak It On. This program is designed for the edification and entertainment of the listeners and not designed to be representative of a church, nonprofit organization, or denomination. Opinions expressed are solely those of the host. Hey, welcome back, and as always, thanks for listening. The problem with eschatology, eschatology, that's a fancy word, right? Eschatology is a fancy word, a churchy word, a theological word. That means study of the end times. The end times being, in Greek, the eschaton. And ology, of course, is the study of. Anytime you see ology stuck on a word, that means the study of whatever it's coming in front of. Or coming at the end of. So, eschatology is the study of end times. Now, interestingly enough, uh, end times uh, is pretty popular today. The uh, just the news and everything else people get uh, pretty crazy about. The thing that I want to bring out is the problem with eschatology is that we just don't know. Now. There's several pieces of apocalyptic literature, apocalyptic literature, Jewish apocalyptic literature specifically, uh, is having to do with end times things. Uh, Daniel, the book of Daniel, is one. Uh, and then, of course, you've got Ezekiel, I think, falls in there some, somewhat, and uh, Revelation of John. Um, and there's others. But apocalyptic literature basically uh, addresses things that are going to happen in the future. Okay? Now, here's the kicker. There are 500 million people on YouTube and everywhere else on the internet that are just dying to tell you what's going to happen next. And uh, I've mentioned this before, uh, that I take my end times thought processes from the Gospels, actually, from Jesus. Uh, and basically he says, I don't know when I'm coming back, only the Father. And if Jesus doesn't know, guess what? We don't know either. But let me show you kind of a, a, a thought process. Here's something interesting, and that is that there is a passage in Daniel, and, and this is an example, of a time when uh, God tells someone this is going to happen, and this is what it means. The beauty of uh, there's there's a kind of a, apocalyptic things uh, we tend to think of them as hidden, and you know I think they're hidden for a reason. 
that's why the book of Revelation, people will absolutely go bananas trying to give all kinds of interpretations about what's going to happen, and this means this, and this simply, simply, you know, and they could be right or they could be wrong. But here's the issue. It's not going to change anything. Whether you know or not, it's not going to change what's going to happen. The real key is to be on board with God's plan and be doing His plan for you when everything unfolds. Now, let me give you this little tidbit here, and it has to do with uh, Daniel chapter 2, where Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar is a documented king, I believe. Um, and... Uh, he uh, had a dream, pretty wild one too, and uh, basically, he was, <laughs> and Nebuchadnezzar, he was a ruthless little, little, little dude, uh, he ruthless, now, uh, they believe that Nebuchadnezzar is the one who built the Hanging Gardens, which were one of the wonders of the ancient world. Hanging Gardens of Babylon. But anyway, Nebuchadnezzar, though, he had this dream. It was pretty, pretty horrifying. And, uh, and he was pretty upset. And so he called his wise men and... and they had different names to the magicians and Chaldeans, they called them. And I could explain the differences between those two, but it's really not that huge. The main thing is, is these guys were pretty much kind of wizards, uh, augurs, oracle kind of, kind of guys. But uh, he says, hey, I had this dream and it was horrible. I need you guys to, you know, fill me in. And they're saying, well, sure. Tell us the dream. We'll fill you in. And he's and, and Nebuchadnezzar. I, I gotta give him credit on this. He's a ruthless little dude. But but he he said no. Wait a minute. <laughs> he said he said no 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 no. Here's how we're gonna work this. You tell me the dream, and then you give me the interpretation, and then I'll know you know what you're talking about. And. Uh, Basically, uh, they were like, I don't understand what you're saying, because, uh, in fact, uh, Daniel 2.10, the Chaldeans, which was a division, a special class of wizard, okay, answered the king and said, there's not a man on, a man on earth who can meet the king's demands, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. Now, uh, something else Nebuchadnezzar was really known for is he had quite a temper. And he threw a wall-eyed, screaming hissy fit and uh, basically threatened to kill everybody. <laughs> he said, well, look, look, you guys are useless, so I'm going to kill y'all. I'm going to kill all of you. And unfortunately, uh, I think Daniel and his companions kind of fell in that category because they were super smart and they were super wise. And so uh, it doesn't actually tell us what you know title they had at this time. But at, the, but at this juncture, everybody's life's at, you know, at risk because the king's fixing to 
clean house. Now, it says uh, in Daniel 2.17, Then Daniel went to his house and made matters known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and his companions. Now, these guys, okay, are those are their Hebrew names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are their Hebrew names. Their Babylonian names, you probably know them by better, which is uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these guys are the guys that refused to bow down and got thrown into the oven. And uh, God protected them and nothing happened. And then, of course, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's like, wow, you guys are something else. Uh, and then, of course, there was a fourth person in the oven with them walking around that... Uh, when Nebuchadnezzar saw him, said, "Hey, this this looks like the, one of the son, of, you know, a son of one of the gods, or something of that nature." Oh, it was God, all right. Now, but it was the God. Now, two eighteen says, and and told him to seek the mercy from the from God of the heavens concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision that of the night. Then Daniel blessed God of heaven. And he said, Blessed be God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. He, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things, and he knows what is in darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So, this is a situation where uh, God supernaturally gives Daniel the information. Now, they call Daniel a prophet. And if you remember, I go over and over this, that a prophet is someone who, who basically just tells a target audience, okay, which could be everyone, what God has said to them. So from that definition, a pastor or a preacher could be a prophet because if God gave them a message and they give that message out, then that's prophesying. Uh, an evangelist got a message, the message. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And he preaches that message. And that's prophet. Now... Um, this is the interesting thing, though. God gives a lot of info in this situation. So, we skip down to Daniel uh, 2.31. He says, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and, and exceeding, and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its 
its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone cut out by no human hand. A stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image of the feet of clay and iron, iron and clay, and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff in the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that no trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, the interesting thing is, right after that, is, is part two. So there's the dream. But now, this is the, this is the huge thing. Because God just unravels his mystery. This was the dream. Now we will tell you the king, tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heavens has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hands, and, and, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of men, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Boom. Okay, so boom, right there. This is this divine revelation, direct correlation, all right? But it's all coming from God. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things, and like iron that it crushes, it shall break and crush all things. Now, he goes on to give the interpretation, and I would encourage you to, to, to read that. And if you follow the historic plan, uh, they've got uh, the traditional okay interpretations of these are, uh, I believe, Alexander the Great, the Greek kingdom, and then that splits up, and then, of course, the Romans come later, and, and there's a whole big explanation on, on those historically. But God's giving the interpretation. Now, here's the complication, though. Not with this passage, but with taking other stuff that God didn't give the interpretation. Here, here's what makes this passage different than a lot of other passages and prophecies that people use. It's because this one has the interpretation. God said, this is, what, this is what this means. In other places, he doesn't do that. In Revelation, you don't know exactly what some of that stuff says. The symbolism is on purpose. There are some things 
God doesn't want to reveal yet. And here's the kicker, is at the end of Revelations, I think, it says, you know, um, that if you have wisdom or something, you can pull this, you know, you can pull some information out of this. I need to double check that. But, but the issue is, there are people who are arrogant enough to believe that they can totally work that out. I, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry. That that's that's arrogant thought processes. That's arrogance, and partially because some of that literature is hidden for a reason. Now I'll tell you what it's become, though. What it has become is a distraction, a massive distraction to people. And uh, now, God bless free speech. If people want to make money off of YouTube and people are willing to give it to them, uh, to hear some crazy stuff that never comes true, okay. Personally, I think that there's better uses of money in some ways. Um, now, I think there's there's other ministries, other outreaches uh, they're a lot more edifying than uh, trying to, to to pull hocus pocus out of the book of Revelation and and the book of Daniel by the way because there's other prophecies in here that, that some prophecies have scared Daniel witless he, he said he'd been sick for several days but the interpretation was not given God tells us when he wants us to know. Part of the reason the Bible is here is because God wants us to know. Now, the kicker is, a lot of people don't even read the Word. They don't read the Bible, but they'll listen to these some of these people on the Internet who have absolutely bizarre thought processes. Now, God bless them. Let them have their thoughts. Let them express that, you know, free speech. I'm all over that. But don't start getting bananas over uh, things that obviously, or, or things that um, some of these wild predictions that people make and most and they don't come true the kicker is is used to be somebody get run out of, of town with rocks thrown at them we don't do that stuff anymore um, the and, and the only reason this really concerns me is because this completely wraps people up people who don't read the Bible people who aren't reaching out to other people, people who are, who are basically just looking at uh, these wild predictions. If they don't come true, you know, you're a false prophet. End of story. That's how that works. Now, uh, here's the deal. Again, uh, some of it's 
pretty crazy. Some of it's pretty inter it can be entertaining because you're thinking, wow, how did he get from, you know, he went, you know, one plus two equals banana, and you're like, whoa, whoa. But eschatology is the study of end times. Start, please. I'm begging you. Start with the Gospels, with what Jesus says. Because he said, look, there's going to be trials, tribulations, wars, rumors of wars. There's going to be, there's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be fire. There's going to be signs. And he said, and these are just the birth pains. I mean, it's been 2,000 years, okay? And yes, there's a lot of things in the world that scream in times. I get that. But I also want to say, in World War One that happened, in World War Two that happened, a civil war that <laughs> I mean, we could just keep going. There's been a lot of stuff. And uh, sometimes I think Americans fall prey to a lot of the, the newer stuff faster because we don't see things that old. We don't see things like that ancient. I mean, in Europe... My word, there's war after war after war after war after plague after plague after war after plague. Just back thousands of years. Um, here, um, you know, in the West, uh, it's a little different. Uh, I think, uh, you know, you can do the math. 1776, uh, 2023, that's how long we've been around. So, the issue is, take your eschatology, start with the Gospels, work your way to Daniel, get some good stuff on Daniel, get some good stuff on Revelation, and then just understand this. You have to trust God that He will take care of you. If you belong to Him, if you're a child of God, if you have given your life and your love to Jesus, then you belong to Him. He says so. And we need to live like it so that when things are crazy, people see the light of God shining in the midst of the chaos. And the light of God will shine through us that's how that happens. That's how that works. Because here's the here's here's the upshot. Let's say for a second, God just said, "Okay, I give up. I'm going to tell you everything." And so He just tells you everything that's in Daniel, everything that's in Isaiah, everything that's in, um, you know, Revelation, and just lays it out. Okay, so the people that don't freaking have a heart attack right there and die. Uh, or, or 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 lose their looming mind um, are now going to be in a non-stop state of utter paranoia because they know what's going to happen. I'm glad God doesn't tell me what's going on. Sometimes I'm telling you, 
Now, yeah, do I get curious? Yeah, boy, I really wish I knew about this and I wish I knew what this is going on and stuff like that. But you know something? At some point, a believer has to say, you know, I think that's above my pay grade. And I'm just going to let God handle that. I'm going to let Jesus handle that. Because even if you knew, the stress paranoia would probably kill you. But if it didn't kill you, it would ruin you from now on. And make you totally, maybe totally ineffective for his usage from now till whenever. So, there's a really good reason. God doesn't tell us stuff. And we really should know the stuff he has told us better. So, eschatology, interesting field of theological study. How about we think a little more about uh, orthopraxy and a little less about orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is what you know. Orthopraxy is what you practice. Let's be the light. Let's be the church. Let's be Jesus to whoever we can when we're here. And my assurance to you is this. When you get to heaven, you belong to Jesus. You belong to the living God. He'll let you know. It won't be a secret then anymore. And you know something? I've been thinking about this. I don't know that God tells people in heaven everything. There's nothing in the Bible that indicates that. We just figure out we're just going to know everything on the planet. Well, no. Not necessarily. We're so limited beings, even though... We're going to have new bodies and so forth. But anyway, with that thought in mind, I want to encourage you to keep on keeping on. Thank you for listening to this edition of Speak It On. And as always, don't be afraid to speak the word in boldness and truth. And may God bless all of your efforts.